possible through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it. Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. Welcome everyone to 100 Days and Beyond, the the podcast that's dedicated to M&A, to mergers and acquisitions, post-merger integration and and really all the things that happen around there. We've had so many guests um, up to this point with varying degrees of, of background and understanding of of the way the world works. We've had people that do the M&A work. We've had people that have do the integration work. We have had people on the receiving end of um, of an of a target of, of an acquisition. And and we've had people from so many different industries, uh, from the sort of more, I would say, traditional industries. And we've even had people from cannabis and, and other sort of more non-traditional uh, industries, which has made a really, really good show this far. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we have absolutely an accomplished uh, individual this morning. And I, I want to say thank you to John Farrell for joining us. Good morning, John. Morning, Dolly. How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you. Um, all nice and bright and sunny in the in the land of the grey sky. We have no grey skies. And uh, what's great about no. the UK right now is that, is that, I don't know, it's just damn hot. <laughs> it is hot. It is hot. I mean, we're expecting 40 degrees today. So, uh, so yeah, it'll, uh, we saw interesting news stories later on at this evening. So, yeah, yeah. The inter- the interesting thing is, I spoke to some uh, to a few people from Australia this morning, just uh, as, just as a side note, um, and they're saying, "Oh, but we regularly get that." I mean, I know what's this red alert warning stuff. I mean, that's like a normal summer's day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, yeah. I, I operated in Australia for a while, and um, we had some uh, large scale sort of engineering and infrastructure works in Australia, and. Yeah, quite interesting. We're not used to it here. It's quite a uh, a rare event, obviously. But uh, but I think the infrastructure in Australia is is well set up for it. You know, it's uh, you know all of the heat warnings and getting to the shade of thirty two degrees and sites stop working at thirty five degrees and there's a, an awful lot of uh, of expectation there. People know the rules and so on. Here, it's a lot more difficult. Therefore, I think we uh, we got ourselves into a into a, a bit of there, I would say a sticky situation. Would be so. <laughs> Literally, if you're if you're on the tubes right now, I think that'll be pretty sticky. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So let's let, let's get to the episode, John. Thank you very much, and I think it's appropriate way to start because um, you do come from that. Um, I would say the uh, construction um, background and so on. So I'm going to read your profile briefly, just to introduce you to to the audience. Um, your executive director. Um, in your profile, you talk about growth, M&A, and turnaround. Now, uh, turnaround is, is a very special and unique environment. Um, and when you're doing M&As, um, and often M&A is about buying entities that you, you want to, let's say, um, buy, build, and fix, and exit kind of thing, <clears throat> you know, in, in a broad term. But turnaround is, is is a little more tricky, and we can maybe touch on that. But let me just read your profile quickly. So accomplished business leader, executive director with large multidisciplinary 
contracting organizations. Okay, so I mean that's very interesting because the contracting environment is a, is is really a, it's an interesting environment because it's it's fraught with contracts and it's fraught with in mm. other words delivery and it's all services and very very often things do go wrong and and it'd be great mm. to to get your view on that. Proven success in business growth, M&A, turnaround, profit improvement and value release in high-paced environments across sectors including M&E, utilities and energy, construction, FM, there's a lot of acronyms, so we're going to have to touch on what those mean, <laughs> and, then, and then government services, extensive experience in securing significant growth in long-term framework and major project opportunities from bid through to successful delivery. And that's very interesting because from an integration point of view, I mean, if I'm buying an entity that's really good at, at delivering on projects and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, that's all fair and well. We're buying an entity that is traditionally potentially won contracts through bids, et cetera, and delivered on them. Where's the value? Is the value in the people? Is the value in the systems, the processes? Is the value in in, a, in the brand, is it in the connection, is it in the ability to have the right kind of talent on board? There's so much to talk about around there. Uh, you talk about being a consistent advocate in the creation and ongoing development of high-performing teams and individuals to drive success. Most recently led the turnaround, transformation, and successful sub subsequent, and this is really interesting, carve-out of the SSE contracting and SSE electricity solutions from the FTSE listed SSE PLC. Please remind me, we've got to talk about that because carve-outs for me are fascinating. And I think from, from, a, from the way the world is going, there are often a lot of uh, regulatory reasons why you would carve-out mm. and, and, and so on. And, and maybe just for the audience's sake, we'll touch on what a carve-out really means, how does it actually work, um, and so on. And how does it differ from, you know, from a normal integration and so on? Uh, let's carry on. So now positioned as one of the top five m &E contracting organizations. This is SSC uh, PLC, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, organization in the UK and Ireland. Engages a group CEO, COO, sorry, group COO for international events. Um, group Arena transitioning from private equity ownership to successful IPO and listing on AIM. So AIM listings may or may not work out. I mean, they are very interesting in terms of its of their ability to either pay off handsomely or, or, or get the um, yeah. people stuck. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting one as well. So we've got a ton to talk about today. Yeah. Um, that business has just flipped back around as well, Dudley. It's, it's, it's actually bought itself back out, MBO'd off the uh, of the AIM and uh, with private equity backing and it's uh, back in private ownership. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's interesting so, how it goes backwards and forwards. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Let, let, let's cover that. I want to sort of finish your, your profile. Oversaw the merger and acquisition projects for leading utility infrastructure group, Morrison Utilities, supported by the North American private equity investors, a former member of the executive team of Amy, and you'll have to tell us who that is, following the acquisition and integration of Enterprise and Ferrovile. So I think, I think let's, let, let, let's start. Let's just, let's just start with who is John? Who's John I Ferrovile? Our profile was so long, Dudley. I, thought, I think I need to cut that back a bit, to be honest with you. 
in, in fact, it is absolutely brilliant. I think from a, from a profile point of view and from the kind of um, background that that that's really valuable for for audience and for the guys and 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 the girls that that listen to this uh, type of in uh, podcast. They want to hear from experienced people that are that have been in the trenches, and I think you probably you know you really fit that profile quite nicely. So, and you've had a, you've got a quite a broad. I think you call it multidisciplinary. I think it's really a good uh, broad background. But let's start at the beginning. Tell us your story. How did you get into this stuff, and and sort of how did you work your way into all this, this complexity? I know it's um. Well, I'll I'll try and make the story a lot a lot uh, less than the profile actually. So, um, <laughs> I've come to the ranks in operational roles and, uh, uh, in large scale infrastructure businesses and utilities and so on. Um, I suppose that every aspect of, of, of what I, what I did in the past was, um, always focused around people, large projects, big contracts, uh, and big customers, big delivery for big customers, such as national grid, um, and big utility businesses. And focus on those uh, types of operations, Dudley, um, allowed me to get a, um, and in the businesses that I was in, allowed me to get a, a real broad spectrum of, of how businesses operate all the way from frontline delivery, the whole way through to managing P&Ls and, and eventually into, uh, mergers and acquisitions, because a lot of the businesses that I was involved with, whilst we were doing turnarounds, it was quite clear that some of those turnarounds were required because uh, previous acquisitions and they were stranded previous acquisitions had, um, not been properly integrated. Um, and I was lucky enough to be part of businesses such as enterprise PLC back in the day when, um, they were hugely acquisitive, um, and actually specialized in, in, uh, targeting and acquiring distressed assets and distressed businesses. So those distressed businesses, there were a lot of great businesses that were brought in, um, but some businesses that needed. Uh, to be put in intensive care, some businesses that needed to be, uh, uh, just needed some, some fine tuning. Uh, but the common theme around a lot of those, those areas was, uh, was people and, uh, large scale operations, multi-depot operations, um, and the complexity and the, the actual, um, uh, the nuances as well around bringing people on board, getting people bought into a, a plan, setting up target operating models was quite common. They're all quite common themes in everything that we were, we were, we were doing. So I was part of the enterprise, uh, group, uh, I'd previously been the managing director in, uh, the big fleet business. Um, and as enterprise was acquired by Ferrovial, we had a fairly large scale, uh, government services, uh, section. So did, uh, Amy and we were interested to Amy. Um, so I was eventually part of that team and, uh, in the exec team of the local government, uh, part of Amy, um, that had to execute plans for the integration of one of the largest, uh, uh, businesses that they'd ever, they'd ever acquired, um, forming a almost over a billion, uh, pounds, uh, business turnover wise with multiple local government and central government customers across the UK. And that in itself was huge. That was a, a huge task. And I suppose. You mentioned earlier on that that was, um, you know, part of the, you mentioned people that had been on the receiving end of an integration. You mentioned people who'd been actually on the, what I would call fairly senior in the relationship. Uh, and there is always a seniority in the relationship, you know, for OBL calls enterprise, they were merging it and with, with Amy. Um, 
So of course we, we went through all of the post deal and post, uh, um, post financial close. We went through almost 18 months of transition, um, bringing to bear through a full scale separation office, um, uh, how the businesses will be integrated. Well, what people lose sight of is you've got these fantastic plans, you've got these fantastic programs, um, all these multiple, uh, facets from procurement through to health and safety, through to finance, what ERP system are you going to use? All those great things. They all, if you're not careful, can take back your customer and, and take your eye off actually bringing the people with you on the journey. So what I then found was that, uh, in amongst that, we, um, we, we had some problematic contracts, we had some problematic areas of the business. I suppose I was almost like called St. Jude. I was the patron saint of, of, uh, of some of the lost causes, I would say. Um, but we, I had a pension for turning them around and, uh, and a lot of that was around getting a plan in place that people could buy into, people could believe in, uh, getting your customer back on track, getting your customer back uh, aligned, getting your contract back aligned. And a lot of this though was, was there were common themes that I realized that in amongst what I'd see though, those common themes were people, customers, and making sure that the integration model and making sure that your target operating model is properly communicated, is properly thought out. And these are great. Even now when we're talking about it, you do come across problems, but integrations only go so far, you know, a business will normally say, look, we've got 18 months to integrate this business and that's it. Then we've gone to the next acquisition or the next target. And you end up with a whole raft of stranded parts of, of those, uh, those businesses and stranded people, stranded customers. Um, and the business has changed and moved on. And if you're not careful, depending on what your integration plan is, you know, some people bring businesses in and plug them into the business or even stand alone. That's, uh, a big, uh, strategy for end group, which is Morrison utilities. And they are highly acquisitive business in a moment. Um, other businesses integrate them effectively and try and realize synergies, uh, wherever possible. Uh, but in amongst all of that. Those plans and executing those plans and bringing people on board with it is absolutely critical. Um, if you don't get that right, then, uh, you will end up with a bit of a mess at the end of it. Um, and that might not manifest itself for two years down the line. You know, when you start seeing your, 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 your target, you know, you start seeing a business that you've spent an awful lot of time and money acquiring, not meeting expectations, not delivering the top line because the customers have gone somewhere else whilst you've been distracted. Or your people and your skill sets have, have disappeared. And so, um, and then I uh, went into doing some stuff for my, myself. I set up a, a bit of a practice, and uh, we looked at, um, at you know doing stuff with uh, with Arena Group and doing stuff with uh, M Group uh, with First Reserve and so on. And then I went into SSE, and the interesting part of SSE was that SSE had been hugely acquisitive over the last sort of fifteen years. Uh, HSE is a huge energy provider. They're involved in every aspect of, of energy provision, all the way from generation, transmission, distribution, all the way through to retail and so on, where they were until recently. Um, they had a program of divestment, so they had to focus on their core investment activity, which was renewables. And that meant that areas such as the contracting arm that they had, uh, areas such as their telecoms arm, um, were, uh, they were looking to dispose of and looking to divest. Um, and we had a quite a successful program. So we, um, looked at contracting business, which was again, a series of smaller areas that had been left a little bit stranded 
after a wholesale uh, sort of acquisition drive that uh, SSC had taken. And we um, we brought that together. It's uh, uh, myself and a, and a team of, of individuals who came together and uh, brought that together into SSC contracting and did a business turnaround and then effectively uh, uh, managed, and I was part of the management team that uh, effectively uh, led the car out and uh, set that business up on its own, which is a wholly different uh, scenario. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's briefly the history um, and some of the uh, the obstacles, you know, that we that we find along the way. I don't say some of your listeners and watchers will will find some common themes in what we talk about over the next while. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> just just thinking about the uh, it, it's it appears to me sometimes they are opposing um dynamic at, 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 there's opposing dynamic at work when it comes to the strategy is to acquire but i've acquired a lot of these things and they should just sort of happen by themselves they must just work um while i go and acquire new ones and then it's sort of teams like yourself that have yep. to go and say okay let's do a bit of a sweep up exercise let's try and bring these things together um because it's very i think it's very tempting for for big companies uh, and and larger company ceos to get into this um some people call it deal heat where you know mm. who's the next thing i'm going to buy or what am i going to do but but the sometimes it becomes more emotional than than rational and then I'm, then there's the question about are we really rational human beings and that's another conversation on its own but 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 coming coming back to 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 your uh, the contracting organisations, I want to just let's flesh that out to, uh, to a certain extent because many of these types of organisations and utilities and energy instruction etc. Et um, they are they they made up not necessarily of of selling widgets. I mean they're not made up. I mean you were you were MD of a logistics company, so you understand what it is to fulfil or move widgets. But when you're doing contracting and, and or, or, or services and utilities and that sort of thing, many times it's more about the infrastructure, more about the the other stuff that happens around. Just tell us a little bit about that yeah. in terms of what your you know your experience on that. Well, if you if you look at the businesses that we were talking about, even go back into the likes of uh, the interserbs, Circos, Carillions, various others, a lots of businesses have started off as construction businesses, so they. Um, they've got uh, big scale projects, um, you'll help by Tolano, Rourke and various others. Um, and that flows into utilities as well. There are businesses that have specialisms in large scale capital projects for, for big utility customers, big infrastructure. But then, then when you're looking at the value of a business, the value of that business is around its long-term customer relationships, also it's a longer term contract. So it's always. Uh, alongside that, you have contracts that are five years, seven years, where you're actually maintaining the assets for those customers as well. So you go through the whole raft of design, build, sometimes operating those assets for them as well. Yeah, if you're a network operator or or running uh, a private network for, uh, we'll say an airport, um, and maintaining those assets. So maintaining is a good good example actually of maintaining an airport's infrastructure. Um, for a private customer where within the wire, all of those utilities are owned by the airport and ran by the airport. Um, so those contracting entities have got all of those gamut of service provision from, you know, capital, uh, infrastructure, build, 
all the way through to maintenance, uh, maintenance of the networks, and then into what I would call asset management, asset ownership, where moving up, and, and it's always the desire of, of businesses such as this to move themselves up the value chain and improve the, the valuation of their business. So moving up into being an asset management business, that's a totally different side of things altogether where you're actually in partnership and there's always a lot of um, terminology around partnering in construction and partnering in utilities and so on. Um, it's, it's, it can be quite a, um, uh, sometimes it's, it's a distorted partnership because you are always going to try and please your customer. Yeah. So you are, are it is, the dynamic is, is always slightly shifting. Yeah. Like any good marriage. Um, so yeah, so, th so that's in general, what, what, what happens and, and what you see is, is that in a good example of this is in, in contracting organizations that have got long-term contracts, the people who've been delivering a contract, for example, and this is, it happens in local government as well. So a contracting organization will win a, a piece of work for a client that could be five, six, seven years. Uh, that would, might depend on the asset investment cycle that's for scale water business or electricity business or a gas business actually and get has, you know, from the regulator. So let's say it's a five-year investment cycle. Um, you bring a workforce. If you win that contract from another competitor, the workforce comes with, moves across to you under two p. So you're introducing change and you're introducing change to a workforce who've been, you know, probably through three or four different, uh, I would say versions of outsourcing with different businesses. It's not unusual to take on a contract where a workforce has been working for the same customer, same customer for some of 20 years, but they've actually been engaged by four different contracting outfits and organizations on the way through. Yeah. And that then brings in the change aspect. So lots of people used to ask me, well, why is it, you know, these contracts are losing money when, uh, when people, or well, why do they need turnaround? What, why are they not delivering or whatever? Well, it's, if you're going in cheaper than your competitors and you're knocking a million pound off the price, well, you go back and you're doing exactly the same thing that's always been done. It's no, not rocket science to say that you're going to lose a million pound. So you've got to change. If you're changing the delivery model and you agreed that with your customer, you've got to bring the people alongside with, with, with that because. Otherwise, they'll just carry on what they've always been doing. And the other aspect of that is that as you bring these workforces, if you're a, um, a, a, high, a business that's got a lot of these contracts, and as you bring workforces in and out of your business, so you'll have uh, maybe, let's say, uh, a contract down in London for a local authority doing environmental services, that could have 250 people. So in five years' time, I've let 250 people will stay on because you renew the contract or they will leave your business. In, and move off to other contractor. So if you've got that cycle continuously running through your business, if you're not careful and you're not continuously educating your people around what your target operating model looks like, what your business is doing to change, how your business is moving forward with innovation, either new IT systems, everything else. If you're not continuously educating those people, within five years, you end up with a cohort of people who do not know how to transact in your business. Yeah. So if you take that dynamic, and then marry that alongside, we're going to be highly acquisitive and we're going to bring a similar target organization into our organization and they're going through exactly the same thing. Yeah. It stands to reason that if you don't plan this effectively and, and if you don't focus on bringing the people through change, 
then you're going to end up in a heap. <laughs> Technical term, that. But, you know, you are going to end up with uh, people who don't know how to transact. You know, it's, um, I saw one business that um, changed the CRP system, um, was hugely nervous about the whole thing, um, set the whole ERP system up. Right? We, I remember giving some advice through this with Attached Consulting. And, you know, not all ERP systems are made equal. You know, there are certain ones that are, that suit certain businesses better than others. Um, but if you're looking at the implementation of something like that, people start coming up with exactly the same issues. It's the same common themes as you move through. And there is a, a thread here that flows into contract management, flows into 2P, flows into contract growth and organic growth. Like I just said, they're true. A lot of the, the, uh, those contract turnarounds, um, but also into the M&A world. And that, that common theme really is making sure that your people are properly trained and educated in your systems on the way through. I can't, you know, it's, it's difficult in today's day and age with a lot of remote working. It's really, really difficult sometimes to onboard people. Well, you imagine onboarding 500, 1,000 people for a target business, a target organization. And, you know, never mind, in the middle of that, they're also onboarding people because they've just won three or four contracts. And those people are coming in. So you've got this continuous cycle of change. Yeah. And you've got to create a line through that. You really do have to create a, you know, the communication side of things is key. When I was talking about the ERP systems, the common theme there is, you know, if you're, if you set it up in a way that it's all driven by your, your finance reporting. Yeah. Because let's face it, when you're in a private equity environment, when you're in a, an M and A environment, the first thing that has to be right is you're reporting up through your, your, to your investors, yeah, no matter what sort of backing you've got, be it on, be it listed or whatever. That tends to, to drive people to set up their ERP systems in such a way that it is droopy, it is constructed for the reporting side of things. If you're not careful, then it's not reflecting the actual activity you've got going out on the ground. Yeah. yeah. So as an operator who's come up through different areas of different businesses, I recognized a lot of this happening. I saw a lot of this happening and that meant that mm -hmm. I was able to formulate plans that have been able to formulate plans and businesses, recognize those risks to be avoided. Yeah. You know, set your finance system to collect the data on your operations and that will allow you to pay and get paid. Yeah. You do it the other way around, never get the right data to actually impact your productivity and impact your operations. So you've got to be very, very careful with the dynamic when you set out and the actual language even that you use in your business when you're, when you're engaging in this and setting up of your journeys. So that whole aspect of, of bringing people al along that journey is all about the leadership. And you mentioned there earlier on about creating highly effective teams. And, uh, somebody said to me before, you know, what, what makes a good, a good program, a good sort of separation program or integration program. And it is actually around setting up a plan and your target operating model and so on, making sure it's communicated, but making sure everybody has been involved with that on the way through. It doesn't always work that way. I know that, but the more you can bring people with you, the more that you can set up a team that become advocates for change and become advocates for that program and are driving that out in the business, then the more you can do that, then the more effective your, uh, your program will be and your post-deal integration or whichever way you're, you're setting it up will be that much more effective. So, and then you've got to bring the target organization on board. So, so yeah, so it's, uh, 
it's been a, it's an interesting journey. All of these, these, uh, these projects bring their own nuances and their own challenges. Um, and particularly when you're buying distressed assets, because actually, um, you're, 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 you're starting from a, from a, a point that, uh, is behind the curve already, but they're, they're exciting because there's always opportunity there. There's great opportunities to do something a little bit different. Yeah, there is. And, and, and if I look at <clears throat> across the, uh, the, this kind of landscape, um, the companies that, <clears throat> that have got the ability, not just to do the construction side of things, which is, um, it's kind of, it's, it's sort of a feast and famine environment, isn't it? You get a really good project, you put the whole team together, you do all of that type of thing. And then, then when the project nears its end, you now have built within that group of people you've built amongst the talent, but you've also built um, systems, processes, procedures. You've done a whole lot of really good things. So you've got you've got a whole lot of intellectual property that you've built over the period of time. Then the 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 biggest sort of challenge I think would be for an entity like that then to win the next contract to continue the use of that intellectual property that you've built up and so on but if you've got a, a distressed environment and then if you go into an m a you cannot you cannot often look at the historic to determine the future of of an entity and now you get given that as a um I almost want to say a bit of a curveball in terms of an integration uh, practitioner because you got shifting environments because contracts could be coming to an end. You talk about distressed businesses. Distressed in construction for me means something different to a an engineering firm or a pharma firm because distressed, I mean, maybe you just want to expand on this, but for me, distressed in construction often happens because they've run out of contracts or they've run to the end of a lot of contracts and they haven't managed to pick up new contracts or the kind of arrangements they've had. So this buy, build and own or buy, build and manage concept. Um, you obviously want to, when you acquire, you want to buy one of these entities that have potentially gone through all the, all the teething um, pains of the initial sort of setup, but are getting closer to the sort of, the finishing the build and own part because now you've got more predictable income. I'm I'm just throwing it out there in terms of that sort yeah. of that 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 sort of business model. So just I don't know if you want to expand on that and, and just maybe bring on a, uh, on a few examples uh, uh, around that. I suppose yeah, you, you're right. I mean, the distressed side of things can be oh, two or three different aspects, and uh, and, and you know <laughs> you try your best for them not all to happen at once. So I might add. Um, Problematic contracts and projects um, that are either not delivering for a customer behind schedule or in dispute or really have been bid far too keen or the terrain has changed and either commercially or uh, operationally are, are not meeting expectations from a financial perspective and so on. Um, so too many of those in the portfolio of a business um, can, can completely distract the management team uh, and distract the management team away from top line growth. And that's what you tend to see. Um, so you start getting this sort of, um, uh, this cycle where the distraction of some of these projects, uh, takes people away from actually running the business, making improvements in the business, in the business itself, because they're so focused on the contracts and the, the underperforming areas of the business and, and that takes up all their time and focus as a management team. 
So then you take then what you mentioned there on top line. Great. I mean, it's absolutely key that if you're a project-based business, that you've got a pipeline of project activity that you can move your expertise or move your people around into. Um, that means relationships, that means decent CRM systems, that means that all of your business development side of things has to be really key at keeping an eye on the market and making sure that you're involved with the right type of bidding activity. Um, and you're investing your time and your efforts and your resources in the business in the right way. So you're quite right when you get that situation, Dottie, where you've, you know, you, you're, you're, you're bringing on a business and you're bolting on and building your business. Um, you like your governance structures in your existing business and governance structures in the target acquisition or the target, you know, and, and bringing them on board and bringing them together. The change that that might be to a management team, which says, look, you know, we've, we're, we're not quite happy that you're working, you're operating in this sort of a market, in this market over here, which is, um, let's call it residential or, or whatever. We, we think that's high risk. Um, we're going to change. We're going to do something a bit different. So you've got a, that target organization that has to turn itself a little bit on its axis. So, well, okay, that means we're not going to focus on that sort of market. We're going to focus over here on this market, which might have a completely different risk profile. So that means that you're changing the business. You're changing the dynamic of the business. To your point, you know, that continuous organic growth, if you change the dynamic of the business and start reducing the turnover of the projects that you're aimed at, you've got to run twice as fast. Yeah. So you're, you're, you know, it, it's all, all of this stuff starts impacting the, the dynamic of the commerciality of PNL, all of those aspects of how you're structured, everything else. And so when you're doing due diligence on a business and when you're looking at how that's going to fit into your own business, you know, it's really, really important to be looking at that due diligence, not from, not just from the perspective of, um, how can we impact the valuation business? How can we impact the synergy savings or whatever we, we might see moving forward, but more and more important, what is the risk profile of that business? How does it fit into our existing risk profile? How does it sit into the risk profile and the appetite of the investors? And what does that mean then for what that business has to do to change and how it's going to impact its organic growth, particularly with customers? I mean, there's a re-yield management perspective. You know, one of the things that uh, I did one business um, was took a portfolio of customers that were in local authorities and uh, and we, we withdrew ourselves from contracts that were, were not profitable um, because we could see that cycle. We could see that to make it profitable, the actions that we we're going to have to undertake for those contracts were, we're going to mean that we're going to end up in dispute with the customer. Yeah. So, so you have to really be honest and make sure that, that you did it honest with yourselves with regards to how that business is going to impact your core business. You know, we saw some of that in enterprise, you know, there were. Uh, projects that we'd undertaken that were, um, that were distressed, they were in intensive care unit, for want of a better term. Some we turned around, um, others we, uh, we exited and, um, and others because the Amy model was a little bit different. Um, actually Amy's influence on those, uh, improved them all to the better. So that was a good example of where the dynamic of a new business bringing like, you know, an emerger there could change the aspect of what you're doing with your customers and what you're doing, particularly with your pipeline, the type of work that you're going to, and, uh, going to bid. So, you know, that, that's for, for me, that there's not a, there's, 
there's not enough of that um, due diligence and that thought process undertaken with regards to strategically um, what that is going to look like in three to four years. Yeah. Now, because, you know, like you just said there earlier on, and we've all been experienced this, you know, it's, I know what's the next acquisition. I know what's the next acquisition. If you've got a, an intense period of investment and, a, and a, a very active investor who is bolting on and building very, very quickly. Um, yeah, you, you've got to be very careful. You've got to make sure that those acquisitions and those targets really fit into your business and fit into your risk profile. Either that, or as you said, post deal, it's up to people like myself to come in and start sweeping that up and changing it, um, and, and changing the shape of, of what you've got. Um, and that's, um, you know, it's important. You realize your value very early on. You have got to move quickly, you know, release value from fair value, release from, uh, you know, uh, cash release profit from fair value provisions if you can, you know, all those different things that you've got to move ahead with, get it and get that really done really fast and quickly and stabilize that people, stabilize the model. So sometimes it's right just to leave it a little bit longer to fix these things because they're not having a massive impact, but then you've got to fix them at some point. You really do. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Every single one of you said W is, is completely different. You know, there's a, and I will say, you know, further to the, the piece around the five year cycle of people. Um, I remember one, uh, I was on the receiving end of, of one, uh, which was a, a huge, massive learning curve for me, where we were told that, um, we were going to take the best of one operating model and the best of the other, with two massive businesses, clash them together and come up with this fantastic best way of doing business in the sector. And what we found in it was that, you know, we, so we were changing everything from target business. We were changing everything for host business. And that meant that everything was changing for everybody. Something in the region of two and a half, 3000 people. And once again, we were in a situation where, you know, if we weren't careful, everything was changing for everybody all at once and nobody knew how to transact, you know? You know, where do, where do I go to get that signed off? You know, where, where, how do I onboard who, which, which of these, which of these processes or procedures are we using today? Where, where, how is that moving? How is the, that ERP system? Because the ERP system is one side of thing, but all of your commercial processes and procedures and everything else have to be in place to actually support that in the first place. So you change everything. And yeah, within, within 12 to 18 months, we had to come back and unwind a lot of the I would say aspirational, uh, aspects of, of what we were trying to achieve. Yeah, it was, uh, but we were able to do that. We were able to do that. And then thankfully we were able to stabilize that situation and, uh, and come out through the other end of it, but it's quite torrid. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the different stakeholders, um, uh, in contracting environments and construction, especially everything is about contracts and, and so on. And they, and they often, when you get involved in, a, in an M and A environment, especially post M and a post deal when the, when the deals have been, have been negotiated. And, and as you mentioned, you know, the impact is, is often, uh, how do I pay the lowest possible price for this acquisition? And how do I get, you know, how do I sort of theoretically get value, the value creation and the synergy and all that. Then you get guys like yourself that have to go and actually physically go and do it. But you, when the negotiations are happening, often it's only with the senior teams. You don't really get to get to get to engage 
with the let's call it the the guys at the coal face the the people doing the actual work let's sort of, let's call it the middle and lower management so and, and you don't necessarily get a view of the uh disputes and potential disputes you know those those um let's call it surprises that happen so you have a contract carrying on and there's a deliverable or one or two things that didn't quite go as planned it's held up the project or or, or portion of it or, or whatever it is and now you've got you the integration guy you've got three four five thousand people to take care of you you only sort of probably generally i would guess not a massive team either you you've got this imminent uh dispute that's coming uh if you don't handle it i mean it's pretty much firefighting if you think about it um there's a dispute coming uh it could very well end up in court rapidly which they sometimes do and you've got to try and protect that protect the actual project because if if that goes wrong it has this knock on a whole lot of unintended consequences so as an integration practitioner in this space it must be incredibly i mean i'm just thinking from a stress point of view from a high <laughs> um high attention yeah, i'm actually i'm actually at 2040 i mean you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just throwing it out there because I think it must be one of the one of the more stressful environments because it's it's a shifting landscape because you've got current projects, you've got existing customers that you may be managing. So you got to uh, often these ent bigger entities, especially have have got multiple facets to it. It's not just hey we're a construction company, we win the next bid, we go and do it and we leave. Many of them get intertwined and becomes the spider web of of interrelationships and etc mm. and then the one element which i haven't mentioned is is on the financing side so sometimes you have people that come in if it's if it's uh, you know if it's a um the, the the customer's got their own money that's one thing but sometimes these projects could be co-funded by other entities other individuals yeah. other organizations and now you've got to you got to report back and and you let's just say there, there are many irons in the fire and i just want to get your view on that and then i want to talk a little bit about you personally but just tell me how you cope with that in terms of the stress levels and, and, <laughs> and, and so on. well it 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 depends you know there's no there is no uh perfect or one-size-fits-all approach to this but you tend to find the businesses that have got uh, large contracting organizations have got their structures in place, literally, you know, around how they're managing customers, how they're managing uh, the commercial relationships. Um, I suppose as you're moving through um, a, a, an acquisition, um, those discussions with customers uh, and the key customers um, at a point through that process will, will happen, will take place. Um, and it is sometimes seen by certain customers as an opportunity to uh, either you know tell people how well it's going how badly it's going or whatever um so it's important on the on the way through that actually the discussions with a, a business's customer base are fairly robust yeah and and i think that's part of the obviously part of the due diligence process but as you say as you get inside um there are projects and contracts and so on that as you're moving through your acquisition will look quite okay quite, you know there's nothing wrong with it um but they could be a two-year project and 
you know, six months down the line, um, some design change or some problem or some snag that you hit in the actual project itself, um, impacts the financials of the project and it turns, it turns a little bit sour. So you've got to do something different and innovative with your customer to turn that around and get it back on track. That's something that you can't get true visibility of through the diligence process and then through whatever warranties or whatever else are there. Because these things are, are continuously moving, you know, that's the whole nature of a, of a project such as that. It's, it has traction. It moves on with milestones. So you have to look at the business's history of delivery thinking and, and understand between that and the customers that they actually engage with, that that business has decent delivery, delivery history. And a, and a history of delivering projects on time, profitably, safely, more than anything, and uh, to the expectation and, and delighting the customer base. So bringing those customers with you, that's the key thing. Like I, I mentioned earlier on, three aspects, you know, bring the people with you, deal with problems, deal with them early, but also make sure you're not distracted away and eroding the top line, because we can all do the yield management piece. We can all Say, so, right, we've got uh, customers that we could exit here because either the relationship or commercially, it's not good. But growth within the existing customer base of these organizations, holding on to those customers is far more valuable and far less time consuming and less resource heavy than actually bidding new customers and new work and so on. So maintaining your customer base is absolutely key. Those structures that are within the organization to do that, you have to approach your your integration or approach your target or approach it in a way that really nurtures that, you know, if you're not nurturing your business development team, um, it stands to reason that either a, you're not going to continue with your growth profile, but B, they're not going to stay with you because if they can't see that you are invested in them delivering for you in certain markets and certain, with certain customers, they're not going to earn their bonuses. Like they're their commissions. They'll be off ski. They're off down the road. They're, they're away to your competitors. <laughs> and so much of this is people-based, you know, and relationship-based. And the expertise is as well. You could have people that have been with the business five, six years, so uh, longer, 10, 15 years. You know, the SSE, for example, that we're, we're just on there, you know, you're talking about people that have been with business 30 years. Yeah. Huge, hugely technical business. Fantastic people um, with a huge amount of legacy. Uh, and time invested in the business. So, you know, explaining to them and bringing them on that journey and making sure that, because in those instances, you've got customers that will actually demand certain people on projects. Yeah. So, you know, making sure that that is being looked after whilst you're doing the integration, whilst you're, you know, delivering this plan is absolutely key. Now, in some instances, that's a case of, it's not broke, leave it alone. You guys carry on. Yeah. We'll all bring each other on the journey and make sure that that's okay. <clears throat> In other instances, like I mentioned, you know, we might have to fine tune what's going on there because the actual risk profile of some of the stuff that we're focused in on or the, uh, the markets that are involved in it is we're changing the strategy or the strategy is moving forward. So that's really important, making sure that the top level strategy the reasons why you bought that business, the reasons why you acquired it, that they, they may, are maintained, communicated properly, but actually that you don't lose sight of those reasons why you bought that business in the first place. Yeah. All too often, I see businesses being balked, as I call it, it's for the integration. 
and they lose their personality and they lose the reason why you actually went for that business in the first place. And, and, and what you loved about that business, all of a sudden you see that it's disappeared because the people have gone or you've, ch- you've changed something that uh, has, has, has actually given it some irreparable damage. So to your point of how do you manage that dynamic? Well, it's actually key that you're engaged with every stakeholder in the business at a senior level. You know, that stakeholder management, when you're moving through these programs is absolutely fundamental because it impacts every single aspect of the business. So those impact analysis, you know, every time we do a, a program at plan, um, mm. we do impact analysis across every single aspect of the business, you know, be that the operations fleet, uh, procurement, uh, all of those areas. And I call it sort of, you know, planning for the worst but actually hoping to deliver the best, <laughs> if you get my drift, um, you know, and that, that's what you have to do. Um, I'm a big fan of not being a pessimist. I'm a huge optimist. I, I've been accused of pumping far too much sunshine in the past, which was a phrase that was, that was used, uh, in, in one program, one project that I was involved with, but the, um, well, you have to approach this with uh, the positives in mind, but also being mindful and planning for the risks to avoid in the first place. And making sure that everybody recognizes those traps that are there not to fall into yeah, and making sure that you've got those avoidance techniques and plans to get, get through and around it and under it. So, so yeah, yeah. say, uh, it's interesting managing that dynamic. You're quite right. It's, it can be quite nerve wracking. Um, mm. in particular, when you're investing yourself in a business, yeah, there's no harder lesson than when you're a part of a management team that's come through this this, uh, this sort of, uh, activity you're invested in the business yourself. You know, you're not just there as a, an employee or you're not there as a, as a, as someone running a program or as a consultant coming in or, or a, uh, a practice coming in to do this for a business when it's your business and you can see that the impact that these sorts of mistakes have, um, there's, it is a, it is a, a stark wake, wake up call. It is a stark moment. It really is. Yeah, what, 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 I mean, just from listening to, to, to you speak, and I want to come into, into a little bit more personal because we come, we come into near the end of the, of the hour and it's just gone so, so quick, John, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what, what comes across, um, for me quite evidently is, is, is the, and I, and, and I'm glad you mentioned about, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Punching or pumping the sunshine, or what did you call pumping it? sunshine? <laughs> pumping sunshine. Um, I think that as an integration, uh, as an integration practitioner, specialist, or whatever it is, however you position yourself, if you're not enthusiastic, if you don't have some sort of passion for for what you're doing, if you don't have the energy, you know, everything is built up of made up of energy. If you you know, if you think about, it, if you look at physics and all that kind of thing. Without the right kind of energy, passion, drive, uh, and enthusiasm, um, how on earth are you going to bring people along with you? It's just, it's just impossible. I would rather err on that side than, than be Mr. Pessimist yeah. and, and, and everyone around you is like, oh, hell, it's just not going to work and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with being passionate and, but, but I think it's, it's a realistic passion if, if, if I may say so. And it's also mm. one that's been tempered with the, with the realities of, of the environment of the world and, 
and so on. And just before we go into onto a few uh, uh, personal things, I was, there was one thing that just just came to my mind briefly. You you spoke about the AIM and the uh, and the uh, the listing, the IPO, and then going back to private. You want to just expand a bit on that, and then we can quickly finish off on your on your. Personal. Just yeah, it was a very short. Um... It was a very short sort of uh, a project for, I was, I was asked to go in and basically for the, the private equity investor to realize uh, savings, um, to, uh, to actually effect another transaction. And, um, so we had to take back, I think it was about sort of eight set out in cost and, and improve the profitability of the business. So, um, but the business owners decided to, uh, to actually, uh, uh engage with, the, with an IPO and, uh, and, and head for, head for, um, successfully did so, got themselves up, listed on the AIM, um, very, very successful. Well, they raised, um, far in excess of what they were expecting. And, uh, and it was a, a really, really good outcome for them. Um, but in that cycle of, um, you know, I, I'm still in touch with some people that are operating the business. It's some years ago now, but in that cycle of, of, um, of what we, you know, and everybody has seen cycles, you know, out there that management team, I think post COVID, I dare say arena, uh, being a massive event business across numerous geographies across the world, um, would have suffered quite, uh, badly during COVID. Um, but thankfully they, they, they came through it, uh, as all of those event businesses have suffered, you know, and, uh, we can see the hospitality industry and can see the event businesses coming through that we can see it still, you know, in a, in some semblance of recovery. Um, but I think, yeah, the management team, they took the opportunity to, uh, to raise funding and, and, uh, bring the business back into ownership from the AIM. And you see that cycle, you see that, you see that in, in one of the businesses that I was involved with, which was enterprise well before I joined the business, it had been on the AIM, listed on the AIM, um, and the management team, uh, managed to effect a, a buyback and MBO, um, with funding from, I think it was three I at the time, uh, at the same time. Uh, they did a fallen for 50 million pound acquisition. <laughs> to imagine that, uh, imagine that, but imagine, imagine that well, intent. Like double, yeah, yeah, double so, whammy. <laughs> yeah. Bring the business back from the AIM, raise funding for that and before, uh, acquire a 450 million pound business. So, uh, Unbelievable. And then yeah, there we go, John, was cool. let's, let's fix that. <laughs> let's, um, I just want to come onto your, onto your, onto yourself, John. Um, if I, you know, for me, there's a, there are a number of attributes that make a really good M and A uh, slash, you know, post acquisition or post integration practitioner, someone who's really good at, at, at business, often a generalist and a specialist at the same time. Um, multiple skills, multiple instances of um, of going and, and being Mister Fix It. I think that's often when you learn the most. Um, in in times in 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 my own career, the best the the best learning I've had, and I've I've told many of the uh, and I've instituted that many companies that I own as well. Is is what, I think the best way to 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 learn something is to experience it or teach it. And, and I think, I think what, because you've been in it, I think you, you just naturally just learn. I think, I think it's like yeah. life lessons. There's no replacement. You can, can't read a book for what, for what you knew, do, but I want to, I want to talk about sort of John, John Farrell, who, 
So, so how do you differentiate yourself? Because if, if I look at the, the market for your skill set and the, 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 the people are around there, uh, around that you would compete against potentially for, um, for work and for, you know, promoting yourself, your career, et cetera, et cetera. Why you, as opposed to the other guy to take on that project, how w- would you be able to, is that a curveball? Would you be able to differentiate yourself? Why, why are you why are you you know different and, and unique as opposed to sort of what else is out there? Um, that's a really good question, a really good question, and, and I, I dare say it's um, yeah, it's one of those ones that uh, demands a certain element of self examination, doesn't it? So, like you said, I think um, for a huge number of practitioners to do what we've done, because and they've just ended up there. Yeah, they've learned all the way through. They've been thrown in at the deep end um, and they either love it or they don't. Yeah. You either like doing this or you think, okay, you know what? That's not for me. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm going to go back into doing what I'm doing, commercial operations, whatever. I think for me, the, what differentiates is the fact that having been in businesses and seen where the, what seemingly are small uh, problems develop further down the line mm. and having been in businesses where I'm not just a practitioner coming in to do this. I'm actually part of this business. This is my business. These are our people, it's our strategy and driving that forward and understanding if this doesn't happen well, then it will distract completely distract the management team away from the strategy. So. The way I always put it when we're talking about popping sunshine rays, other things is if we don't get that right, it stops us doing all this fantastic, fantastic stuff over here. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's the difference is that actually there are lots of, lots of practitioners out there, great people, great practitioners. What differentiates me is that actually it's the execution side of it. We get it executed. We get the plan executed, but we are not completely, uh, we're agile as well. Yeah. So that level of agility allows you to move for, as you said earlier on, you've got to be able to actually through a lot of ambiguity, find a route through complex issues, complex problems, relate that to the business and actually relate that to how your plan is going to perform and how that executing that plan is going to impact that business and impact the outcome. So I've been on the receiving end of, of good integrations. I've been on the receiving end of bad integrations. I've been involved in, you know, I've delivered some really good ones. I've delivered some average ones. I I won't say I've ever delivered a bad one. That's not gone really well. Um, but you know, it's almost like, I think it was a a German colleague of mine that said that if you're going to build your own house, make sure you build one for someone you don't like very much first and then you'll (laughs) be your friend. And then build your own. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, your friend would be very forgiving. You can forget about the first one, but that experience on the way through, you know, mm. we, we've all got scars on our back where commercially or whatever else, or we bought a quiet business. You've got your own business in Dudley, you know, I have my own. We've all got the scars on our back where it hasn't gone well. And I think the biggest uh, difference for me is I've seen how that impacts people directly, you know, mm. having had to rescue uh, a business and go in and, and not just turn it around, but rescue 
a business to the past. It, you get very, it gets, becomes very, very personal when you're actually thinking there's five, 600 people here who are relying on this business for their income and to feed their families and pay their mortgages. Yeah. And that's the difference that I think that level of personalization, you know, you can't, you can't actually do too much of it because you end up with a whole raft of empathy fatigue, but what I call it, but <laughs> you have to actually make sure that you're, you recognize the impact of this and the impact of this is with people. And if those people aren't bought into it, you won't succeed. So yeah, I, I, I love yeah, that. I mean, that's, that, that's very well explained. I mean, I'm loving that. So. So it's, it's a, it becomes a, we and an us, um, challenge. Let's, let's do this together. You know, we sit on the same side of the, of the fence and, and we get this done together as opposed to a you problem. And, you know, I'll, I'll come in and see what I can do, but you know, it's up to you kind of thing. And I think that definitely is a differentiator and, 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 and that, that's, that's special. And, and I, I want to thank you for that and sorry for the curveball, but I thought it'd be <laughs> really useful, uh, to, to, to get that. John, just, just one, one last question on the, um, on the personal side. So how do you keep yourself sane? Uh, how do you balance? Is there such a thing? Um, you know, how do you keep yourself at least, uh, <laughs> at some sort of normality if there is such a thing? <laughs> who said I'm sane and who says I'm normal? um yeah i mean family yeah um we're not all lucky enough to have family i am you know my wife is fantastic my kids uh keep me busy um you know we've got huge interest in sports in our house and so on you know with rugby in particular and and you've always got that family dynamic to actually keep you grounded and understand why you're doing these things in the first place um I love, you know, going out to, to socialize with, with, with people. Everybody loves that, you know, but every so often I'll, I'll pick that or to the other side, I'll pick up that saxophone and I'll, I'll play a, a fairly morose tune that, that can be my meditation. So, so yeah, so it's, you've got to have some release. You have to have some form of outlet all too often, you know, you see in business that, that people's outlet in the past has been, you know, when they're involved in this sort of activity, it can be 18, 20 hour days, you know, and you don't get that out, you know, people, it, you know, when you're coming into a, a, a particularly, um, big deal, you know, that you're, that you're having to inspire, it's really intense. It really is. I mean, let's not, let's not, uh, underestimate that or understate it. It is hugely intense. I mean, that intensity can carry on for 12 months longer if you're not careful. Um. So it's not just a real about you making sure that you're getting time out and decent time out and, and so on. And that's been difficult over the last, let's say three years with COVID, um, people taking holidays, getting that release, uh, getting engagement with people, you know, I'm a huge people person. So engaging with other people and so on in, in, in ways that are face to face that has really impacted people's mental health quite dramatically. And that's, you know, I'm stating the obvious because we see it everywhere. But in this particular scenario where these things are so intense, you know, you, you lose the opportunity to get into rooms and brainstorm and so on. Um, so I'm glad we're getting back to that. Um, but yeah, I have, um, my wife's a physiotherapist and I'm her, probably her worst advocate because, uh, you know, I've had bad backs in the past that she's helped me manage and so on, but I'm not at a high fitness, you know, so, um, 
So she, uh, you know, I, I could be far fitter than I am and do more. Everyone can do more than they, than they should do. Um, but yeah, you've got to have those releases doubly. I mean, you know, I, I try and blow on that sax. The sax is next to a, a rowing machine that hardly gets used. Um, and, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff that, uh, and I've got certain interests and hobbies and so on. What you do, you need to have those releases to keep your head right, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and keep away from, um, partying and various other things. I'm far too old for that now, you know, the, the young people <laughs> that, uh, that are coming through, let them frack on with that. They can, they can, uh, really hard, play hard with, uh, <laughs> with playing hard as well. Yeah. I've done all that no longer. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just picturing you on the rowing machine and playing your sax at the same time. I just, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. Yeah. On the next episode, uh, we have to wrap it up. I'm loving the episode. And we, um, John, um, on the next episode, you're going to need to share your journey around your, your, uh, saxophone, um, how we, uh, how that's, oh. how that is important. You know, yeah. in, in your yeah. in your life and your life story, but unfortunately, we come to the end of this episode. Uh, so let let's leave that as a cliffhanger. But it's a fascinating story uh, in terms of how you got into and in terms of your world travels because of that saxophone skill of yours. Um, anyway, let's leave it at that. Um, John, thank you very very much. Uh, any last golden nuggets, last word of wisdom uh, you want to leave before we before we uh, close? Just you know, keep where whenever we can, we need to keep fun in it. Yeah, it it can be you know hugely intense, um, mm -hmm. but really that satisfaction from getting these things across the line, that satisfaction from actually making things right, fixing things, and so on, getting things done, you know. Um, it's, you know, don't let, it should let anything overtake the fact that we can do this and it can be fun. This can be, you know, it can be a really enjoyable experience for people on the way through. And, uh, and that's what we should be aiming for. Love it. Love it. John, stay on the line. I just want to say goodbye to our audience and, uh, and then I'll be back with you. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, everyone, for joining us today on our, on our latest episode of 100 Days and Beyond, where we, we deal with and we speak to and we engage with the, the individuals out there in the trenches and in so many different industries. And, and, and those, are, those are of the audience that, that have managed to catch a few of the earlier episodes, um, you're probably seeing a trend in terms of the skills, attributes, experiences. But what's wildly different often are the, are the, um, are the industries and and even the approaches, although there are commonalities amongst uh, uh, practitioners in mergers and acquisitions, especially on the post-acquisition or post-merger um, uh, people. If if you if if you'd like to know more about uh, uh, John and and, and John's um, uh, contact details, it's definitely it's on LinkedIn. I'm sure John will be uh, would welcome anybody to to uh, to contact him. Uh, and uh, probably just drop him a message. Um, the same goes for, for, for all our other guests. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, as I mentioned before, the uh, post-acquisition or post-merger integration world is made up of what I call the unsung heroes, the guys that get, and then the girls that get, that get things done behind the scenes. Once the deal has been struck, is to remember why the deal was done in the first place and then to make things happen 
while there are, um, I would say, uh, curveballs, like I threw one at, at uh, John earlier, but there are curveballs coming at you all the time. It's to build an instinct, uh, a methodology, and a plan uh, as early as possible, and then to roll out and implement that plan. Thank you very much, 100 Days and Beyond, for, for joining us. All the best to our, or to our audience. All the best to you, John. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, please join us on our next episode uh, of 100 Days and Beyond, um, the uh, podcast uh, specifically designed for business people, M&A professionals and, 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 uh, and practitioners, uh, post-merger or post-acquisition integration practitioners, and even those that are learning or wanting to get into this industry, or if you are expecting or receiving on the receiving end, of an acquisition and you don't know how to deal with it, meet the real people, meet the people who, who, who are there. And you can see based on John's experience, very, very much real people and they are there to do it. Um, for John, it's definitely in a fun way. And I love that uh, about what, <laughs> what, what he said. Thank you very much again. Uh, see you on our next episode and goodbye. Hi everybody, this is Dudley again and if you need help with a future or existing post-merger integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free no obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk that's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website skillfulpursuit.com.